Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, your face looks so different from when the last time I saw it's you at the end of last year. It's called makeup and yeah. brushing your hair. Because yeah. I think uh, we actually haven't, until this past weekend, we hadn't seen each other for probably seven or so weeks. Uh, and, and let then, me just say, without being rude, that at the end of last year, you looked like you were ready for the knackers you had. <laughs> <laughs> your face was. was about a kilometre long. Do and I, you were just like, I'd say, Sail, do you want to do this? And you'd be like... What? <laughs> now do I look dewy and refreshed? Yeah, I don't know. It might be the strobe cream, but uh, it's definitely, you're definitely looking a bit more human again. Like. Yes, I'm feeling much better after having had a break and switching off the news and just swimming in the ocean a lot and just, um, well, not really the ocean. I'm scared of the ocean. Swimming, I was say swimming, when. In, <laughs> swimming, swimming in ocean pools, uh, which are, you know, I still get nervous sometimes. So I, you like a regulated ocean environment? I like, a, I like, I like the vibe of the ocean mm. without having to have too much ocean. Um, further to our past discussion about sharks, carpet oh, yeah. and otherwise, um, I spent uh, some time in South Australia, uh, coasted in 25 minutes before the borders came crashing down. It was like a high-speed chase. Um, and spent some time at Henley Beach where there was shark alarms quite regularly. Oh, yeah. God, Very exciting. Scary. Saw some dolphins, ran from some sharks. There was one day where I was swimming in an ocean pool in the Illawarra and it was really um, rough swell mm -hmm. and it was even the ocean pools were rough and the waves were crashing over and you were sort of rocking around in the ocean pool. And I was thinking, I was remembering that story last year that horrified us both so much about the shark jumping into oh, that boat. Oh, I remember. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, a shark's going to jump over the fence. The swell's going to throw a shark over. So to be clear, did you spend your holidays just making a tour of ocean pools around Well, New the South state? Wales, there's so many of them. So you pretty much can, actually. So, yes, I did spend a portion of my holiday doing that. And I spent a bit of it in Queensland. Um, and I spent a little bit of it in the Hawkesbury with you. That's right. No <laughs> ocean pools involved there. No ocean pools there. But anyway, how was your holiday? Uh, super. Did you get really a lot of reading and stuff done? Oh man, I did heaps and heaps of reading. Um, in fact, when I was at the Hawkesbury with you, that's all I did. I don't think I spoke really two words to you. I just no. basically lay in my bed. Just and read clocked books. my what my unmade up face looked like and yes. gave yourself the contrast for today. Yeah, voted with my feet. Um, <laughs> oh, speaking of which, just before we move on, um, there's something that I meant to raise with you last year, which. I forgot to because I'm an idiot and because I too was brain dead by last year's end. And that is, what did I hear late last year about you being included in some sort of world's sexiest people oh, list? Christ. <laughs> yeah, you haven't got away with it. it that's true, isn't it? Uh, it, it? I don't believe it was the world's most. I believe it was, <laughs> it was like, like the, the maximum. Sydney inner west's most. <laughs> it was, yeah, that's right. Um, it was... Uh, Oh, look, I only know about it because Mick Malloy raised it with me on Triple M. It was the Maxim Hot 100. Wow. And where were you in the Hot 100 well, exactly? Well, towards the end, obviously. But I think these <laughs> were things... Were you in the librarian wing? <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly. There's always a sort of nod to, they obviously, you know, go through all of the sort of, you know, hot young chicks and then they get to, well, we better better make sure that we imply that, you know, brains are also sexy. So who are some of the brainy chicks around that we can throw in here? So I was in the brainy chicks um, section. Did you have to do a special photo shoot? Yeah, I had to strip off to my undies. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Thereby no. guaranteeing your place in the really sealed section. First I knew of it was when it came out. Uh, so no, I was I did not have to do a uh, photograph for it. But yeah, thanks for raising it because I feel you're, you're this fine. Is such comfortable terrain. And so what, terrain was, the, what was the, again, the publication? Maxim. Maxim. <laughs> okay. Is that like the handbook of the Friends of the ABC? <laughs> a handy Maxim. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. It's a it's a book about Latin. Yeah. Um, a magazine about Latin, and they sort of do you know the, the hottest scholarly women. Um, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. But no, look, thanks for raising it. Twenty twenty one's off to a brilliant start now that you've shared that with um, our listenership. Do you want to hear about my distinguishing uh, thing that I've just found out about myself? Does it involve you being on some list that makes you feel awkward and 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 strange? No, it's a really cool list. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, a chatter friend of ours, uh, Sarah, texted me yesterday say, saying, hey, just I've always meant to ask, how do you feel about, um, uh, how did you feel the moment when you realised that Barack Obama follows you on Twitter? What? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And I said, well, I'm feeling it right now because I did not know that. Well, I think I need to have a look up. And yeah, I really hoped you would. Do you follow Barack? Please, 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 if there's a God, please make Barack do Obama. Of course I do, yes. I okay. follow all See, of I them. don't follow Barack, so maybe he only follows people who follow him. Because otherwise there'd be no reason why he wouldn't be following me, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe just he's I, got what I want to know. What I want to know is is how do I tell if he follows me? Would it say follows you? Yeah, it would. Okay, mate. he doesn't. Just, no, he doesn't. He Sorry, doesn't. Mate, you're lucked out. He doesn't. But luckily, I feel. Well, how many like people is he equal. following? He's following um, five hundred ninety-six thousand. So. Of which I am one. And <laughs> well, uh, and how many followers does he have? He has 128 million right, followers. Right, so, so he's choosy-ish. I want to know um, how did he, when and how did he start following you? I don't know. Like I only found ex- it out from Sarah. For example, was it when you um, tweeted <laughs> that dude who's, you left your shoes at his front door and did that somehow come to... Wow. I can see what you're doing. You're trying to, you're trying to make this into a humiliating episode for me. And do you know what? I am inviolable to your assaults because... I I want him to interact with you. I'll pay that. That happens all the time. I mean, he's just always on the direct tweets to me. Is he? DMs? Yeah, he's like, have you read my book yet, Crab? Have you read my book yet? I'm like, listen, I've got a system, mate. (laughs) You're you're on the bedside table, okay? We'll get there eventually. (laughs) I've read your wife's and enjoyed it. Now, there's a couple of things over summer that it felt... Oh, you want to change topics? Yes. Okay, you want to move on? It felt like absolutely everybody was watching and surely the number one of those things has to be Bridgerton. Oh, I know. Is there anyone left who has not watched Bridgerton? Yeah, Barack is just constantly asking (laughs) me, what do you think of Bridgerton? Let's talk about Bridgerton. I feel like we don't catch up enough. Did you watch it? Yep, I watched it. And... um, I only watched it because so many people had watched it. I felt like if I don't watch this, I'm going to be left out of a cultural conversation. That's uh-huh. what made me watch it because it's not my general, um, I, like I never watched Downton Abbey. It's not my, yep. I don't like that sort of period thing. I hate the frocks of that era. Oh, me too. Yeah, the, the mono Empire line and the, with the mono oh. and the terrible side ringlets, which I mean, it's I've mono, experimented with myself over mono the years. Boob but, up to, mono yeah. boob up top, shower curtain down below. Why, 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 why? And they're reticule for some reason. It. And the men's fashion terrible, hideous. Yeah, the high for, pants. Fortunately, the Duke, who is the chief male character, wow. didn't have to wear a lot of, of the pants. men's fashion. <laughs> okay, so a lot of thoughts. Oh, firstly, just isn't it interesting that the more um, the more dominant streaming services become, you've got this sort of weird new rating system that emerges, which is where you make decisions based on what everybody else is watching. And it's sort of not something that really used to happen in the old days of television, right? Of, no. Yeah, because... And I'm sure you'd see ratings and stuff, and you'd have the bit of a water cooler conversation about what to um, about what to watch. But sometimes now with these streaming services that got so much on offer, it's sort of the most easy way of kind of triaging shows because mm. otherwise you end up with that terrible thing, which happens to me all the time, where you think, "Oh, I've got half an hour before I'm completely unconscious. I'll have a look and you know watch something," and then you spend 35 minutes going flick, 
Yeah. Flick, 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 and then you're like, whoop, tired out now. Yeah. That happens to me um, more regularly than I'd like it to. But anyway, I too saw that this Bridgerton thing was very popular and thought, oh, I'll watch that. And um, awkwardly, I watched it with my 14-year-old daughter. So (laughs) she, um, I mean, to be honest, she's actually the person who put me onto it. She's like, oh, there's this kind of costume drama thing. I'm so into it. It's about intrigue and gossip and whatever. She forgot to mention that it's also like just totally, as it goes on, gets more and more rumpage pumpage. And (laughs) so we get to the end and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, I had to get it a cover of eyes on a number of occasions. <laughs> I wrote down two things about Bridgerton. Number one was it's the hottest dude since David Diggs in Hamilton. No, he's not that hot. Still David forever for me. I do love David Diggs. I'm not going to lie. But I haven't seen as much of David's <laughs> bum as I've seen of the Dukes. But you're right, and super hot. And his chest, like his pecs should actually get their own credit. And a lovely face too. Mm, sure. um, also... Nobody in these kind of shows, nobody ever asks why, listen, why don't you want to marry me? Just, what you know, why don't you want to have kids? They just run off into tears and have a duel. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I know that that's the sort of substance of what makes drama, but there was a lot of moments like that where I felt like, look, this could just be cleared up with one simple 30-second conversation. Yes, and that would ruin, ruin the entire oeuvre, wouldn't it? <laughs> it there'd, would. there'd have to be no balls and masks and nonsense. Would you watch Bridgerton season two? Uh, I just... I don't know that I would actually. Like I thoroughly no. enjoyed the first one and it felt like the sort of series that you watch when you've got heaps of time and you're on holidays. Like I don't think I'd really carve out, you know, some of my serious term time time watching. Oh, okay, look, I'd... the person who turns out to be the diarist I find quite interesting. Oh, really? I thought you could see that coming from a mile. Oh, I, I, it was I, didn't so... pick, I didn't pick that. Really? Okay, I thought no. that was heavily telegraphed. Um, <laughs> I mean, any time that you're, you're still surprised about the Obama thing, aren't anytime you? you're, I know what's happening. Anytime you're you're surprised by development, I do remind myself this was the person who couldn't tell the difference between Matt Damon yeah. and Leonardo DiCaprio True. in The Departed. I still so. probably couldn't pick them apart now. <laughs> I know. I think um, I just I'm not good at watching television. Maybe that's one of my problems. I I don't know. I. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'd watch another series. Um, now, the other thing I watched yeah. that everyone was also banging on about was The Queen's Gambit. Oh, yeah, I watched the hell out of that. Oh, okay. Also so with my daughter. What did you think? I uh, loved it. Yeah, what did you I love lo- about well, it? Well, I, I liked well, I liked looking at it and her and her outfits um, just as a visual thing. Yeah, the outfits I thought were the brilliant. style of the show was um, beautiful. Like It was incredibly stylish. It was beautifully shot. It was. And I just loved to see a series that's about a chick being really great at something. I think she was, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a one-trick pony, I guess, but I found it really satisfying. And also, when, how often is chess sexy? Hardly ever. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I I had mixed feelings about it. I certainly did watch it, and it probably, it, it's a better show than Bridgerton. Um, it, it sort of held my attention more, I think. Mm. But I had a couple of problems with it. I loved the clothes as well. I thought mm-hmm. the clothes were fantastic. Um it's very it's very goodwill hunting, which is that the premise is basically, hey, I just pulled this street urchin, uh, you know, in, <laughs> and they I gave them an abacus, and now they can do quadratic equations, like that kind of um, sort of but vibe. Chess is a bit like that, isn't it? No, you learn it. It's not like something that yeah, you... yeah. But I mean, chess to be a prodigy in chess. I mean, like. There's a really good essay that I think you can have oh an God, was either it. Julian Barnes or Martin Amos wrote about chess, which is like you can get to a certain point in chess where you beat everybody in your local pub 
and then you still will get your ass whipped by the guy who gets his ass whipped by the chick who gets her ass whipped by the guy who gets his ass whipped by the person who's sort yeah. of like approaching grandmaster status. I mean, like, there's it's a long road, and unless you have some sort of gift, you don't. Well, it's get, like it's probably you can't practice and be awesome at it. It's literally no. like anything. It's like music. It's like mm. sport. Whatever. Everyone can get to a level of mm. competency, but do you have the special talent that allows you to be world class? Like, yeah. not everyone has that. So it's that combination, I guess, of work and knowledge and also um, some talent for it as well. And who was that? There was who was that absolute? It was Nigel Short or some one of the chess? He was a real bump and he was fantastic at chess, but just a super jerk. And um, in this essay that I'm talking about, um, there's this line where the writer says, um, Nigel Short is a reminder that supreme chess genius can occasionally ally itself with the most paltry of human material. (laughs) (laughs) I often think of that line because I just think sometimes there is something fabulously accidental about, you know, people who are really good at something but are just also jerks. (laughs) I once wrote a profile for The Monthly about um, a guy called Ian Rogers who was Australia's only chess grandmaster and he'd had to retire from the stress um, of the play. And so I went to a tournament where I can't remember if he was – was he coaching or was he – I can't remember, but he had already retired from the game. Anyway, we um, it, it was sort of fascinating. It's a fascinating world and this sort of show exposes that a bit. Um, I guess one of the things that I found a bit um, problematic is not giving anything away to, by saying addiction is one of the themes mm. of the mm-hmm. show and I, I just don't think that addiction – lends itself very well to drama, even though it often features in Because it's fiction. so unsurprising. So boring. And if, you, if you've had anything to do with it ever, it's boring, it's tedious and it's repetitive and it's the same crap over and over again. It's not remotely glamorous or interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I find that as a sort of dramatic tool, it just is... It's boring, um, yeah. and it just takes. But up winning time. all the time is pretty, pretty. Yeah, um, it was kind of boring up. as well. So it is. Um, although she doesn't win all the time, I guess that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing was, did you know Gary Kasparov designed the games that were played? No. Yeah. So they are actual real chess games that he designed for it, and for I was serious. Suspe- and I would suspect oh that if you knew anything about chess, I bet you that there would be oh. beautiful stories in the same way that if yeah. you know about music and you hear music yeah. that's used in film, it often is adding a really good layer to the story. Um, I think that would be the same. One, somebody in the Chat 10 Facebook group had this really elegant suggestion, which was that perhaps the characters in the show resembled players on a chessboard. And when I thought about it, I thought, oh, that's so true because she's obviously the queen the Russian dude that she was yep. trying to unseat was the king. She had um, the sort of, I guess, bishops, which are the people that open up a pathway for the queen, Ooh. which would be um, the adopted mother and perhaps the chess teacher. And then she wow. had... this is a really good theory. Yeah. And, and then, then you have the knights jumpers that kind of go... The knights were the two dudes yeah. who were helping her strategically, yeah. you know, to form a boyfriend. Yeah. Like, so it's sort of... And then there's the pawns are like lots of the other sort of, you know, bit players in it as well. I thought, yeah, that's very interesting analysis. I think you could take that quite far. Oh, yeah. I'd love to put that theory to the director and have them just go, what? No. The writer. <laughs> the writer. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I watched that everyone watched, of course, the new season of The Crown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think? munched that up pretty quickly Same. even before the It was the first the thing end. I watched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you think? Uh, I was all over it, loved it. Same. Really yep. enjoyed it, totally enjoyed it. I still miss Claire Foy a lot Fair as enough. the Queen. Yeah. yeah. I thought Gillian Anderson was fantastic. 
not telling any, anyone anything that they don't already know? Did you um, not like her so much? No, I thought she was freakishly good. And I thought, how funny, how interesting that the showrunner um, married to Gillian Anderson sort of waited until series three to whip out his multi-talented wife. Did now you ex-wife, of course. Yeah, yeah. they had. <laughs> um, maybe she was just unforgettable as Margaret Thatcher and it sort of really put a damper on their sex life. <laughs> <laughs> like, Can't do it now that you're Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> That's terrible. No, I'm sure it was for no, complex she was, reasons. She was really good, I thought. Um, I think that is something that, you know, that... that Series, I mean, massively expensive and um, hugely um, popular. Although apparently, has Bridgerton now overtaken The Crown? Did I read somewhere? I think so. I think it's the most successful Netflix thing of all time. Yeah, Which I thought, what, more successful than The Crown? I find that hard to believe after one season. There's some strange things like, you know, Money Heist that I watched last year and was hating myself over. It's one of the most successful Netflix shows of all time. Like some really strange stuff for some reason gets to the top of, yeah. Well, I suppose the more that they evolve, those streaming services just become, you know, like TV networks where you've got these sort of like super popular blockbusters and then you've got like the sort of, you know, more um, highbrow kind of ones yeah. that are well, that. And, and the blockbustery ones pay for because I bet you Bridgerton probably wasn't that because nobody expected it was going to be so massive. The mm. budget wouldn't have been the budget for the crown, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Bridgerton. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I bet you they'll get a bit and more money next time. Might be able to afford of... pants for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got your kind of money spinning true crime doco things of which there are a billion and which I, you know, shamefully love quite a lot. Did you spend any time Googling or chasing up characters from The Crown again as you have been oh, previous? all the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, it's something that I have to devote at least half an hour to after each episode. It's my favourite bit, actually, just going back and going, really? Oh, my God, the island of Mustique? Are you for real? Actually, one thing that I did, um, and I'm sure this is um, um, because I learn more about her in The Crown, was went down a bit of a Princess Margaret wormhole over the whole Oh, yeah, well, she's it a, fascinating. It was a one-hole wormhole, really. I bought, I bought and had no idea this book even existed, but you know Craig Brown, that writer who wrote the One Plus One book that oh, we both yes. thoroughly enjoyed? Yep. Well, he's written a kind of weird biography of Princess Margaret, and it's called, um, it's called Ma'am Darling, 99 mm. Glimpses of Princess Margaret. And it's not a proper biography. It is sort of 99 little vignettes, stories of her, you know, at a particular dinner party or an interaction with some celeb or whatever. And it is written in that sort of PC style of one plus one. But by the end of it, you emerge with quite a full picture of what she was like. There's anecdotes from her childhood, from her married days, from um, her, you know, declining years. It's really interesting and, you know, absolutely razor sharply written by Craig Brown so I really love that and do you feel like does it flesh out um because I mean I guess I've formed a view of her just from watching the crown Mm because I don't really know anything else about her does that does his account bear out what we think we know about her from the crown that is what she's like that she was this sort of um kind of study in contradictions really because she was super um you know, wild and crazy and so on, but also massively snobbish and hung up on being, you know, people had to use her proper title. Mm -hmm. And she'd have these interactions with people at dinner parties where things would be going swimmingly and and then suddenly they'd be slightly over-familiar with her and then she'd just shut them out and Mm. never speak to them again. Like, she sounded like a total nightmare. And, like, some of the the stories that are really great are about 
hostesses who, you know, get this call saying, it's Margaret, I'm coming for a stay, and then just freaking out about who else to invite and to make sure that she had exactly the right kind of water, you know, to mix with her scotch or whatever. And, yeah, so super demanding and nightmarish, but then also tremendously good fun if you were sort of in the right spot. Right. But I think that, I mean, in some ways, you know, the, the, the appeal of these sort of Bridgerton things and the crown is this sort of inexhaustible fascination, I reckon, in people to kind of understand the lives of the super rich, right, or the super famous, you know. And it's sort of disgusting that we're that interested. But it, it's, it is. I guess it's just because it's exotic, right, because mm. none of us know what that's like. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and it, of course, it seems when you're a, a regular person with regular person problems like um, doing everything you need to do, going to work, paying your bills, um, you know, getting in to see the doctor, like all those regular person problems, it seems like we look at their world and we go, well, they would have none of the regular person problems and so that world looks appealing. Mm. And so then it's fascinating when you discover, oh, actually... Actually, Princess Margaret died of despair. It's pretty so. dreadful, <laughs> yeah. And they've got a whole different set of yeah. non-regular person problems. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it's, 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 it's exotic. It's why you go to the zoo to look at, yeah. you know, creatures in a cage or whatever. Misery tourism. So weird, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I did also get to the staircase, which is a series oh, that I've been. My yay, God. I've been telling you for years. I know. Yeah. yeah. And oh, so good. Oh, how just, compelling is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I've been told for years to watch that. And I knew as well that I would love it. And I just sort of. I don't know. I just got around to it. And anyone, I watched it all in about two days. Quick summary. It's a, um, a documentary series uh, about a guy whose wife is found dead at the bottom of a staircase and uh, he is charged with her murder and it follows the court case through and he has given uh, complete access to a documentary <sighs> crew. The defence team has given full, full inside access. And the guy's name is Michael Peterson and he's kind of a really fascinating character because he's sort of charming and kind of open and he lets this documentary crew right into his life you know and his relationship with his children he's got two adopted children who were the children of a woman that he was friendly with in Germany years and years ago whose father died and then mother died so they were orphans so they moved in with him and his new wife and and anyway, and did you think what was your sense as to his guilt or innocence? Oh, I thought he was guilty. Oh, I, yeah, I did too, and I'm not sure if it's just because I'm cynical or mm. without you know giving anything away. There's a particular coincidence yeah. that um, emerges, emerges, and it, for me, it was a bit too. That was a bridge too far. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> anyway, it's um it's super gripping to the absolute last minute, and it really um, is. And after some further legal developments, it was kind of. Um, updated a few years back because it was originally made um, in 2004. Yeah. But then they um, added on a few postscript episodes yeah. in 2018 to deal with some other things that happened. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, which I, I watched. I remember talking about it on the pod at the time. Yeah. But he's sort of, he's quite a likeable dude in lots of ways. A likeable or yeah, unlikable? Quite a likeable dude. Right. That's where you start off. And then after a while, yeah. I don't know, but like he's such a performer as well. Like he's it, loving having the cameras there. Oh, totally. Mm. And he's, and he, but his kids, the two daughters, um, are so firmly sticking by him as well. And they just oh, constantly they talk are, about Well, and his sons too, actually, all the, all the kids. They are absolutely extraordinarily um, compelling characters. Yeah, they really are. It's a look, it was, I found that. 
utterly riveting. So you know that, I mean, one of my favourite little clusters of books of all time is um, the, um, you know, the book The Journalist and the Murderer, mm. which was written by Janet Malcolm, and it's about a murderer, yes. who a convicted murderer, who sues in court the biographer that he's, he enlisted to write the story of his trial, and he was convicted of murder, and the biographer wrote a book saying, well, look, actually, I do think he's guilty. Yeah. And he'd sort of lived with the mm. murderer through the trial and then changed his mind at the very end and put out a book that said, yep, he's guilty, completely catching the convicted off guard because he thought that the book was going to be, actually, he's been wrong yes. and here's why. So um, it is uh, one of the great books about journalism, um, but also the book on which it's based, which is called Fatal Vision by the journalist um, Joe McGuinness. Joe McGuinness, yeah. yeah, is also a great read too. It's a, it's a it great is. true crime read. So um, they're a fantastic couple of books to read together. And honestly, the just the manner in which um, Jeffrey McDonald, who was the quote-unquote murderer, still in prison, um, welcomed this writer into his life just really reminds me of the interaction between oh, the totally. documentary crew and the... Um, Michael Peterson. Yeah. Because once you've sort of let them in, it gets to a point where it's hard to get get them out then. Well, of it's course sort it of is. established then and, think, and there's relationships and, you know, it's, it's complex. Right, it is complex. And in this case, in The Staircase, it's a French documentary crew that follow him around for years because the case takes yeah. forever. And I think, well, because of the suspicion at the beginning that this crew was kind of, you know, close to the accused, they never get to interview the one of his children that um, does think that he did it mm. and also the sister of the accused who thinks he did it. So you get this sort of one-sided account, but it's sort of not because I imagine the documentary crew wouldn't have been interested in talking to the other parties. But no. I think because of this, I imagine this sort of impression that, well, you know, you're this guy's PR team, so we're not going to let yeah. you talk to anyone who thinks they're not going to be treated fairly. And I think often, you know, after a crime where nobody really knows exactly what what's happened, these sort of um, alliances can grow up. Um, I mean, look at Helen Garner and the First Stone, which then massively change the storyteller's ability oh, yeah. to tell the story kind of from all sides. This um, question of access and the enmeshing of mm. these relationships and documentary series brings me to something I wanted to just really briefly talk about, which is the death of Michael Apted, who oh, is the yeah. um, creator and um, documentary maker who did the Seven Up series, mm. which I absolutely loved. Um, I mean, the people involved in that had mixed feelings over you know, whether or not it was the right thing, particularly because they all were involved from the age of seven right. in the original and then it was something that Which they were raises some massive with. consent issues, right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. And so last uh, in um, 2020 the l latest instalment came out which was 63 up so every seven years these people have participated in it just it's a documentary about what their life's like at, yeah. at these particular points and it's it's just basically a social study um, and so the question now is with the death of Michael Apted will they do 70 up because 70 up would seem like a very fitting 
complete course, endings, yeah. starting with seven. Um, but and, then would there be anybody remaining with that kind of relationship with all of these? Yeah, well, no. I mean, some of the crew I was reading this week, some of the crew have been on it since like wow. 21 up. Um, so there are people that have been involved for a really, really long time. One of the um, participants was dead by 63 up. Mm. And then Nick, who was one of my favourites, who you might remember I wrote to when he yeah. wrote back, um, was has been really unwell with cancer, although he was quoted in the Michael Apted obit, right. so he's obviously still alive. So it, I guess it would just depend how many of them want to participate in 70 up. Um, I, I hope that they are able to find a way to make it because it also seems, I don't know, it seems sort of quite... Like even them talking about the death of Michael Apted, I feel mm. like would be sort of, um, I don't know. I guess that, I mean, you would definitely feel that if you made a final episode, not only would it round it off numerically, but also it feels like almost something that does need a postscript after it, it does. his death. It I mean, sort of does. And then, of course, that it, it just that would feel like a real line being drawn under it. And 70 seems, because, you, you, oh, I mean, I suppose you could keep going till the last person dies, but it's going to be a 10-minute doco by yeah. the end. Cause you're gonna go tea, and toast, tea and toast, <laughs> tea and toast, tea and toast. And look, I, SBS has got all of them up now. I, I binged all of them except I, I watched them all in 2019 and then I watched 63 up in isolation. Um, it was actually... It was one of the best things I've ever seen, but watching it all in a, in like yeah. binge like that was not a very I don't think um, emotionally sound way to do it. It was really quite rattling to yeah. watch all these people that you become quite attached to, aging. You know, for me over the course of about three weeks, <laughs> so that was quite full on. And then when the um, characters died in sixty three, up oh god, it's just gutting. It's absolutely gutting. That's the exact reason why I'm scared about going back. I mean, I've watched. I think I've watched the first two. But I don't know if I've, I'm quite strong enough to watch them oh, all happening. The character everyone talks about is Neil, yeah. who is this very sweet little boy who has just terrible mental health issues all through his life. And so every time that it comes up, you just your heart's in your mouth going, oh, God, what's happened to Neil in the past seven years? Oh, God. Um, but anyway, it's it's a totally wonderful series and I'm just I'm so glad Michael Apted did it and I'm so glad that most of those people have, you know, nearly everyone stuck with it for the entire time. Yeah, that's incredible. Absolutely um, amazing. So um, now so you um, watching The Staircase, which mm. I told you about, reminded me years ago, reminded me that I... I, what, I read something that you have been banging on about for years and years and years, which is the Ian McEwan novel, <gasps> The Child, the Child in, in Time. Time. Oh. Your favourite novel, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it is. And I haven't read it for 14 years, but it I've is I've got still... about 30 pages to go. Yeah. Um, oh, man. It yeah. is. <laughs> you warned me that it's a pretty full-on thing. And, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not giving anything away here. The premise is um, that... This man goes to the shops with his child, and the child goes missing. Just and it's it's very. He's just at the checkout. He takes his yep. eye from it, and he turns around. The child's gone, and then it sort of goes from there. Um, some of the some of the scenes are so well written where Ian McEwan's imagining what that would be like, and then the aftermath of when he has to go home and tell his wife and stuff like this are just oh yeah, so so tricky. But then it's just. I don't know, it's the classic Ian McEwan. It's just a wonderful piece of writing. And you had, again, several times told me that there's a scene in it <laughs> which is a half, a half a second of time because he's about to have a car accident and it's stretched out 
over about three pages what goes through the character's mind as, as he's trying to avoid the accident. And um, as soon as I got to the, oh, I can see a lorry in the road ahead. I thought, this is it. This is the bit. <laughs> this is the bit. And so I was paying really, really particularly close attention to it. And, um, oh, my God. Yeah. It's... As a piece of... It's show offily good, isn't it? It really, really is. And there's a few things like that. And I think that that's a bit of a hallmark of Ian McEwan's writing, probably. There's a few bits, a few things like that that really are. Um, it's almost like he's just showing you, look at how skillful I am, look at what I can do here. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, there was a bit I saved to read out, but actually I don't think I will because I'm going to read out something else a bit later. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, I, it's fantastic. Well, I've been watching a couple of musicals as well, actually, oh, just while we're on the topic wow, of, like, each other. Yeah. of unusual behaviour. Yeah. Um, I went to see Pippin and I went to see oh, Rent yeah. because um, Rent is my daughter's current favourite musical. She was telling me all about... Um, what Rent was about oh, I'm back say, in the dark oh, ages of the 1990s. Look, I'm going to make Ords not want to speak to me anymore, but I don't love Rent, I've got to say. I think yeah. it's only got one good song. Well, I find it, I've listened to it a bunch of times and I don't remember and whistle many of the songs, but like I've got to say the, the musical that she's really got me into is Waitress. I've never seen that. So um, it's, no, I'm I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying I think it's um, it comes it came after the film by the same name Waitress, which um, was uh, directed by um, a woman called Adrienne Shelley, um, who was in the film. Um, it's about a waitress that works in a diner and she's married to this terrible bloke who's just a jerk. She gets knocked up. And she it's Kerry Russell, isn't it? From it is Kerry Russell yeah. in the film, and she. Um, Bakes all these pies that are kind of derivative of her life situation. So, you know, knocked up pie with apricots or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and she falls in love with her gynecologist and um, finds freedom. Anyway. Um, I can't imagine not... falling in love with your gynecologist. Yeah, I know. It's very funny and yeah. awkward. Um, now, the film, I love the film. It's got a super unbelievably tragic um I guess, postscript, which is that Adrienne Shelley herself, who was, um, she was in The Unbelievable Truth, she was in Trust, she was murdered in oh. 2006. She's also in Waitress as one of the other waitresses in the in the um, joint, and she's wonderful. Um, she was murdered um, before the film came out, and it was, it was um, released posthumously. It's just oh. an extraordinary, awful, awful story. Um, but then... Um, Waitress the Musical um, is just this fantastic, it's just full of awesome songs right. and I don't know if it's actually toured to Australia. Somebody bring it. It's so good. So should I watch, what What should I do then? Watch the film? Watch the or... film and then listen to the musical. Okay. Or you could just listen to the musical anyway. I hadn't seen the film when I listened to the musical. Okay. I only sort of got onto it because um, Audrey was just like playing it relentlessly around the house. Right. I'm like, what is this? This is awesome. She's like, I know. I've been trying <laughs> to tell you. I've been telling you for years. Um, yeah. So um, then we watched the film together. And anyway. Speaking of things that are awesome, Hamilton casts are oh! re rehearsing at the ABC at the moment. Okay, so I only found that out this morning when I went to work and it, there was a sticker next to the lift just saying, Hamilton rehearsals, level whatever. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I haven't, I mean, 
I feel like I really need to keep my cool around this group of people. I could immediately, <laughs> I could, I could definitely blow and just start leaving my shoes on their doorsteps or whatever. But when I texted you in a state of like, oh my god, with that, I sent you a picture of the thing, the little sticker. I'm like, oh, they're in the building. And you're like, oh, yeah, I saw them yesterday hanging out. I'm like, oh, first with the news. Thanks for letting me know. What's wrong I with got, you? I got distracted. I'm sorry. Oh, should have gotten on to it. Um, I'm so excited about that. Well, um, shall we leave this here and then uh, re- we just leave this reconvene here? Another, on another occasion? I find it hard to believe you don't have your, your eye on the clock. <laughs> I certainly do. Does mummy say we're out of time? Mummy says we are out of time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>